brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion. This is episode 101. That's right. We're in the fucking three-digit numbers now. It's it's a whole new it's a whole new world. All those years, five years of putting in 082 for the episode numbers has finally paid off in my in my anal retentive desire to see all three digits line up have paid off. In this moment. And I'm joined by RBK. What up, RBK? Not much, man. Just like uh, living life and uh, starting new hobbies, you know, because I, I need more hobbies. Like I need another hole in my head. So. Oh, dude. Yes. Amen to that. I never, it never fucking ends, does it? It never nope. fucking ends. Uh, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, we got Gabe Rivera. What's up, Gabe? I am enjoying this like beautiful day outside and uh, talking RPGs on this wonderful Sunday sounds fantastic to me. So what's up? Great. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm well. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Like as soon as you hit me up and you're asking like, hey, you want to come and hang out on Sunday? I was like, uh, yes. Easily. <laughs> so a uh, little backstory. I met Gabe at a local Phoenix game store spot called uh, Funkatronic Rex. It's kind of an interesting little shop. I kind of like what they're trying to do down there. Um, kind of a younger, younger shop. And I was playing, honestly, I think I was playing a kind of uh, dismal game of 40K where I wanted to like punch myself in the face um, for playing it. And uh, I saw, I see this guy and he's like wearing a uh, author and punisher. Uh, this machine kills fascists. Uh, and it's like got the, like diagram of one of those author and Punisher like uh, uh, noise units that he uses, and, you, and I see this guy wearing this T-shirt. I keep seeing him at the corner of my eye, looking at like uh, role-playing books and miniatures and shit. And I, I, at, the, at some point, I was like, I gotta go over and say what's up to this dude because you never meet people who are like kindred spirits at the uh, at the game store, or at least very rarely. You know, it's, a, it's especially politically or musically. And I mean, author and Punisher, that shit's just so fucking underground. So I came over, said what up, and I met Gabe. And uh, well, we we haven't really. I think that was shortly before uh, COVID hit, right? So we haven't really seen each other since. But um, like yeah. uh, we keep in touch online, right? Yeah, yeah. You had uh, hit me up, and you're like, you went and saw. I think we talked about uh, seeing Three Teeth and how they had like kind of a drama breakdown too, and laughing over that. Oh and we yeah, true. Over, over our love of OSR and talking about uh, a recent scandal that had broken out in uh, the OSR community. Nice. And then uh, you offered to send me your copy of Red and Pleasant Land, which I now have on my bookshelf. Oh, so. cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that that went somewhere good because uh, I never use it for anything. And uh, the only Zach book I kept was uh, Death, Frost, Doom. Cause that, and, oh, and Vornheim, because those are just real good. And, you know, yeah, they're hey, really so, good. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, when it's good, it's good. You know, I won't buy any of his new stuff, but those are good books. Um, yeah, yeah. Swapping or uh, buying used or anything, I'm cool with when it comes to his stuff. For sure, for sure. So why don't you tell our audience just a little bit about you, kind of like let them kind of or, or orient them as who you are as a gamer. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been playing since I was 15. I'm 31 now. Um, I started on third edition in my friend's garage, and uh, I pretty much got hooked on it. And, of course, this was at a time where, like, you didn't really know a lot of people that played D&D, and people that did play D&D, like, you kind of kept it, I guess... Like kind of on the uh, like the the DL in a sense. Oh sure, it was um, like under your hat, right? You yeah, yeah, it was under your hat. Noise about that. Yeah, because you didn't want anyone to like make fun of you, and especially like when you're in high school, like that's the last thing you want. And of course, now that I'm older, I'm like I don't really care. But uh, yeah, so that happened, and then I played a tiny bit of Fourth Edition. Um, I didn't really care for Pathfinder uh, in college, so like around 2012, I got really really into OSR. And then I've been playing 5e steadily since 2014 when it came out. Uh, but mostly, like, the genre, I guess, I I play the most would be horror. Like, that's that's what my main campaign is. And Ooh, then, nice. Um, but this is like a horror fantasy campaign, right? Or is it just... Yeah, yeah it's my homebrew. And 
I, I've been running that since 2017. So we're going on three and a half, almost four years. Holy and then, shit. Yeah. And, then, and it's the same group of people too, uh, which is really cool and kind of rare. Yeah. Uh, man, then, is that a weekly or, or, or twice monthly? Uh, it's bi-weekly. So I, I, I think I kind of briefly described to you how I have it separated in like seasons where I have like my main, you know, quote unquote cast of characters. And then I'll run kind of a, a 0.5 season. Which is like a kind of inspired by Rogue One, like telling the events between each season. And those are generally new people that, uh, you know, you start your end and then that's that's pretty much it. And, but uh, I also play a bunch of other games, too. I had a small Call of Cthulhu kick with my girlfriend right when the pandemic and shutdown happened. We were playing a little bit of that in our apartment. Uh, and then I'm a huge fan of Powered by the Apocalypse games. And then I just recently really, really, really got into the Genesis engine with uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire, which is an amazing game if you haven't played. Oh, man. Dude, I feel like we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, this is so great sitting here talking with you. You're, I, you're, you are among kindred spirits. You're my friend. Welcome. Welcome. Um, and with that, we'll go ahead and we'll dive into... The black hole. The black hole is the ever-sucking void of uh, time and energy and money. Uh, it, it is role-playing. It is our it is our favorite hobby. Um, so, uh, what do you guys got going on? RBK, you haven't had much of a chance to talk. What's going on in the black hole? Well, I'm I'm continuing to play um, Eternal Lies uh, every Saturday. Good. So, and uh, we kind of got the party got split. And then my character ended up with basically the equivalent, the tabletop equivalent of Leroy Jenkins. Apparently, he decided that he he didn't want to live no more. What um, your your what your your buddy's character? Yeah, his but my buddy's character. Um, so he like we we went into this like catacombs area, and not to spoil anything, but like we basically met this horror that wasn't. It was kind of stationary and just doing its own thing. And he decided to pull out a gun and start shooting it, which, you know, is not a great move when it's not actually trying to attack you. And it just like reached down and like ate him. And then, wow. and then, but this was after he had uh, blown up the exit with dynamite. So we, my character and my other friend's character are stuck in this place and have been for like the last session and a half. Um, You're just like stuck in a fucking like ruined cavern. Yeah, basically. And you're just like trying to figure out how to get out of a cavern. Well, so like we, they're they're it's underneath a cult compound. So we're tr they're they're digging their way back in, and we're we're probably gonna die when they come back in. But what's happening is the other side of the party is like. Um, trying to figure out how to get us out of there and they've made some good moves and they they've kind of figured out because they did pull us out of there and they figured out where we went i on the other hand decided to figure out because he dropped dynamite i figured out how to blow up the the horror so like i went stark raving mad but like you know they don't know that yet so um <laughs> Oh yes, Cthulhu. Does that mean that you uh, lost like a bunch of sanity points or some shit? Stability is, points. Um, Stability points. So uh, I can come back yeah. from it. I'm just it. I will have a mental illness afterwards. But um, and my the amount of sanity I have has been reduced. So I'm, I haven't lost the character yet, but she's definitely going to have some scars, and you know, may not continue afterwards. So we'll see. Wow. This looks really cool. I just looked this up. I uh, did not know that this came out. Yeah. Trail, Trail of Cthulhu and Eternal Lies is... I, that's the way to play Cthulhu as far as I can tell. Oh, yeah, bro. Seriously. It's all about Trail of Cthulhu. You didn't know about Trail of Cthulhu or you didn't know about Eternal Lies? I didn't know about uh, Eternal Lies. I've heard about Trail of Cthulhu. Like, I, I hope I don't sound like a crazy person. The Pelican Press and like how the Cthulhu brand itself is marketed is like kind of confusing to me, mm -hmm. coming from someone that's that's used to like one line, one uh, set of you know adventures, modules, and stuff. Because there's like whenever it comes to Call of Cthulhu, it seems like it's it's like within a bunch of different subdivisions and 
like trying to figure out, okay, where do I go from here? Having the, you know, the handbook, the investigator's guide and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's go ahead, go ahead, Richard. I was going to say Cthulhu being a public, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, being public domain means that anybody can write for it. So, uh, anybody does and anybody does chaosium is call of Cthulhu. And oh, that, that's right. And then Pelegrin yeah. does uh, 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 tra- Trail of Cthulhu and Fall of Delta Green and a bunch of other that's right. systems. But, but, but even adding more confusion to that is that like the, the creators of Delta Green have split that property into two different games. So you can play Delta Green, the regular Delta Green game, and Fall of Delta Green, which have two different systems and two different storylines because the, the creators amicably decided to split it. So I see what you're saying. It is kind of a pain in the ass to figure out um, oh, okay. so, like, where to start. It's trail. Okay. Yeah, yes. and like yeah, yeah. I, I just recently got into Cthulhu gaming. Like I said back in like March, my girlfriend oh, and I. Oh well. Got it. I would say take the. I mean, look, look. We have some. We have some Chaosium people who listen to the show, and I don't want to shit on Chaosium. Uh, I'm I, I'm currently. I mean, I'm not really. I haven't played in quite a while, but like I'm playing Seventh Edition with my uh, with my buddy Alex. It does seem vastly improved. It's a vastly improved iteration of the game. However, my heart belongs to Trail of Cthulhu. If ever I was going to run a Cthulhu investigation game, it would definitely be Trail. Uh, <laughs> so you should should defos look into that. You can usually pick them up pretty cheap too, because they're by no means as popular as um, the Call of Cthulhu kind of like, like me, brand. Yeah. To buy a book. Oh no, another <laughs> book for my collection. <laughs> well, they also tend to be soft back books. A lot of the ones you like get are softback. I mean, they might have hardbacks now, but you can get the softbacks really cheap. Um, and yeah. Trail of Cthulhu has a... They have one of those OS... Whatever. They have a wiki where you can look at the rules. So, And I think it's the best investigation rules you'll find in any game I can think of. I agree. Well, 100%. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. I, yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. Well, since uh, we're on it, man, what's going on with you? What's uh, what's uh, the current focus of attention for you, Gabe? Um, yeah. Uh, so I would say that my recent five E session, uh, my my big season, as I had mentioned, which is about six seven months of playing, and it's like one cohesive storyline, just recently ended. So I am taking the nice backseat as far as DMing goes, and I've been playing, like I had mentioned, a ton of Star Wars. And then on the side, I'm running uh, first edition for a bunch of people that have never played first, first edition D and D and yeah, first edition it's, it's technically labyrinth Lord. So it's BX D and uh, okay. D so old Bay basic uh, and teaching that to new people that started on fifth edition is it's so much fun because like if they, if they don't, you know, poke something with their 10 foot pole or if they just willy nilly open a door and then a trap goes off or like, you have to be so meticulous with your movements in a dungeon and watching them learn that while I'm not a DM that tries (laughs) to kill my players, but it's so much fun because they're like, okay, well, how do I roll to, you know, to, to get my character back up? And I'm like, you're just dead, bro. Like roll up a new character. That's, That's how we, that's how I do it. So um, I picked up a great Greg Gillespie book, The Fallen Caverns, which you can get uh, on drive through or wherever. Um, but Greg Gillespie also did The Barrel Maze. And it's uh, a huge, huge mega dungeon. And I like teaching people in mega dungeons because it, it's pretty much the core basics of, um, you know, what hack and slash first edition is like. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of that. And then just like I had mentioned, the Genesis system with Star Wars, which I really, really, really like. Granted, uh, Rolling the dice is a bit tough, so we use an online roller because there's a lot of symbols and, uh, you know, one die can cancel out another die, but you can also push uh, forward, like, advantages and whatnot. So just having that dice roller calculate all of that and then just spit out one result is really nice. So that's, I would say I've been more on the playing end recently. Um, With Star Wars, we're a bunch of... Uh, you know, smugglers and kind of just no good Han Solo knockoffs, I would say. And uh, we stumbled upon a frozen in carbonite Imperial Inquisitor and having them pretty much bust out a lightsaber, you know, four or five sessions after we accidentally stumbled upon them has been absolutely terrifying because I don't know how we're going to deal with that. 
So we're just doing the old rubble uh, kind of attitude, like, well, we'll just deal with it later. You know, we'll just keep pushing by. So. <laughs> Edge of the Empire is really great. I really, I really yes. enjoyed my time with that game. I, I played in a really long running campaign of that. I like the dice, but like, I think I can understand it's kind of a pain. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, but I got, I got really good at being like, oh, that, 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 that. Okay, done. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it, it with the dice rollers, super easy. Um, and I th- that's the Star Wars game I always wanted to play. I didn't want to play a Jedi. I didn't want to play. Yeah. I mean, I like playing as a rebel, but it's you're kind of. I like the smugglers as rebels because they're you know really not adherent to any kind of structure, and they're just dealing with these situations that are you're always way over your head. Like don't yeah. doesn't matter <laughs> if it was yeah, a trip that, to the coffee shop, you're still over your head. So <laughs> I think that naturally gives the feeling of Star Wars um, because I've I've noticed uh you know in the past when I've played RPGs or one shots that you know I forgive me for not remembering which game system this was but like it's like all right you're a jedi it's i just kind of feel like i'm already level 20 you know if we're talking D terms and yeah. i like being the nobody like i play a trandoshan who was uh in the war but you know he he's pretty much out he served his time on trandosha and now he's just a smuggler and now i'm dealing with this walking terror that's reminiscent of you know, the original Terminator where it's like, oh, I don't know how to stop this. Like this Inquisitor is eventually going to come and beat me and my friends up because we accidentally unfroze her. But eh, we'll just go to another planet and just keep going. Hopefully they get tired. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And I have heard nothing but good stuff about Edge of Empire. Uh, less so, I think you get into declining returns when you look at the other uh, properties that they put out for that game like i don't think people connect to them quite as well and i will say i've only played um once and i had a good time with the game i feel like it had a lot of potential i did find the die roll to be arduous it was like a it was a yeah. it was like kind of a weird barrier to entry i like my um i i think like maybe a year or two ago if somebody had asked me i would have said oh the um the uh System should be as close to transparent as possible. You should forget about the system while you are playing the game. I'm kind of moving away from that now. I'm kind of returning back to a little bit more like where I was in sort of like the late 90s, early 2000s when I was like a White Wolf, like World of Darkness guy. Oh, same, dude. And I just I just loved like fucking with my character sheet and I loved collecting up my dice and uh, like rolling a lot of dice. Like I don't think it should interfere with the game. But it should, at the same point, it should not just disappear into the background. It's a, it's a yeah. vital part of the game. It's part of the experience, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually have been feeling the. Ex- ah, that makes me so excited. I've had this same craving to just sit down and play some White Wolf and just like the dice are there. They help guide you in the direction, but the story is front and center. Yeah. You know, because I think yeah. that especially nowadays with a lot of people getting into really crunchy systems, which again, I'm not trying to you know, dumpster crunchy systems. You know, if you want to play Rollmaster, feel free. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, you know, it was, I think it's with Iron Crown Enterprises. That that's right. Out. It's like a 17 page like character sheet. Um, but yeah, I, I got really into crunch and just like, I've been having that craving of just, I just want to do, you know, a lot of role play. And I think that's why um, also after the, uh, the shutdowns and the quarantine and all of that happened, I also got really, really into uh, powered by the apocalypse games too because it it has enough of a dice roll to where you're like i'm playing an rpg but at the same time you know let's just have fun and role play so well i mean that's a different subject i could i could go off on that but we do have to get to our because i i would like to take you up on that sometime um but I'll, I'll do my black hole and then we'll get into the into the teeth we'll get into the the, the meat of what we're doing um here with the with the show today um so for mine the thing i the thing i'm kind of fiending on right now is i just got um electric bastion land from exalted funeral uh i missed it in its first time out and there are now refills and uh the last time i was on exalted funeral they had one so i snapped it up um i got really interested in this game when i was first writing uh the dunkle elf game because it seemed to have some kind of interesting ideas in it and people are people are very excited about what it's doing uh, it's Christopher McDowell. Chris McDowell. I don't know if you guys are. Are you guys familiar with uh, Electric Bastion Land? I, I believe I saw it on Kickstarter. 
back, yeah, it's, back, way it, back. It, it functions off of the system that he wrote called uh, Into the Odd, and it's um, it's a it's a super super strange OSRE type of game. Very strange, very minimalist, which I like. But then the world that it gives you is like this completely bonkers, almost like with. He writes in here like, oh, it's going to be your world. Whatever you end up doing with it is going to be your world, so don't worry too much. But um, like, base it on the things that, are inf- that, that influence you. But it has a very like very steampunk kind of vibe to the uh, art and illustration and to the, um, the names of the classes and stuff. And so <clears throat> this thing actually kind of like goes against what I was saying to uh, URBK uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about how the role-playing games that are being written now that are so story minimal but sort of system-emphasized are going to be real lame reads in like 10 years when people have moved past that particular iteration of the system or they're feeding for something else. Like Nobody's going to want to pick up a copy of Monster of the Week and essentially just read a bunch of rules about how to run this game that they may or may not be interested in because there's no content in there aside from just how to play the game. What's fascinating about how Electric Bastion Land approaches OSR is that um, it's it tells the story of the game and the setting through the character classes and the rules mechanic. Like there's no um, like this game is about being in debt. It's kind of a metaphor for like you know uh, millennials or Gen Z or whatever. Like like living in a society that is like unbelievably wealthy but being like having uh having to bur- the burden of crushing debt right so every group starts out being with all this with all this debt and then you're trying to adventure to get yourself out of debt and so everybody chooses a class and then every class says uh has, has, a, has a has a feature on it that says if you are the youngest player in the whole group um you are, if you are the youngest player, the whole group is ten thousand pounds in debt to, and then it and it gives a little like faction that's in the city, right? Like uh, this one, the Hedge Club. It says all public gardens in Bastion are dangerous ground until you answer for your crimes against the Topiary, right? So it's like, so it's like <laughs> there's a hundred, there's a hundred classes with a hundred factions plus all the stuff that it says about the city and about adventuring. Um, and, and, and by creating, like, here's, here's a class. It's called the Criminal Bureaucrat, right? If you are the youngest player in the whole, the whole group is 10K in debt to the Backward Legion. They accept stolen items of modern technology for twice their value against your debt, but then destroy them immediately, right? And the, and the uh, outline for the Criminal Bureaucrat is... Uh, the description of the class is, the laws of Bastion are written so that every crime has a loophole. People paid you to perform crimes legally. Hmm. So yeah. it's like, you get, you get all this fascinating shit, all this fascinating shit, but they don't have to, it's baked into how you play the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that sounds I, a little bit like uh, uh, Forged uh, Blades in the Dark a little bit, too. Like, the mm, fact, a, there's a lot of that faction stuff is kind of built yeah. into Blades in the Dark. Interesting. I really like how they just kind of give your character an automatic like adventure seed of sorts. Um, yeah. With like, the, if you were the youngest, you owe this much because it's. I really like systems that work for the DM, not the DM having to work to get the system going. And that's like one of those things that if you know you can have a player be in debt to something, and then maybe that's like the piece of inspiration you're looking for to connect one storyline to another storyline. Like, oh, I can just weave that story arc into this if they decide to pursue that, like that specific. Right. Yeah. That's just session one. And then, and then you're going to start folding things in on each other, which is like how we all do, you know? And, um, I think it's cool that some of the most exciting games that are coming out right now are kind of moving in this direction. And Electric Bastion Land really made me kind of think of this. And I think it's apropos that you point out Blades in the Dark, right? Is that the games that I'm finding to be exciting right now are not games that are devoid of settings. And for like, I feel like the last five, six, seven years there has been this kind of movement inside of games. And in my own writing, I've kind of fallen prey to this where it's like 
The GM is going to write their own game. They don't care about settings. They don't care about signature characters. Um, what we need to do is make a very, very tight game. The game itself has to be tight and then give it to the, to the GM and the GM is going to make up whatever they want out of it. But I don't know that that's necessarily 100% true as an ideology, like as, as, as a game design principle to move forward from. I am starting to swing, as Ben said in the last episode, the pendulum swings and the, <laughs> my pendulum is swinging now <laughs> towards, uh, I think that there should be more, a little bit more story baked in. I, I think that the old White Wolf, uh, like epic mythology full of like nosy characters that are telling you what to do all the time, I think that's too much. But I think people, when they buy a role-playing book, kind of want uh, a story seed. You know what I'm saying? They want something. They want a jumping off point. And I think that we're moving into this uh, interesting new era where the most exciting games actually are kind of coming with those. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I definitely see it as going to kind of be a you know, when we look back, you know, it's kind of funny how you're mentioning it. Like in, in 10 years or something, you're going to have these different books. And people are going to pick up and go, oh yeah, I don't feel like reading just a bunch of rules. You know, I want something mm -hmm. more than that. It's going to be almost a snapshot of something we look back and go, hey, remember when this was the trend, you know? Yeah, um, I agree. And I, I found myself with books like that because I, I need some type of seed uh, to kind of get me in the right writing mood. And there's been a lot of books where, you know, I've kind of unfortunately assumed that they were going to have something and not just their own, you know, uh, magnum opus of rule writing. And then I'm sitting there going, uh, I don't know how I'm going to write with this. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, there's, there's two, there's two poles. There's too much story, but there's also such a thing as too little story. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I mean, give me something. Give me just a little crumb, you know? And that that's sort of my you know my issue with like I, I hate to keep picking on Monster of the Week, but there this is this is kind of the thing with a lot of I think what you're rebelling against and what you're ta thinking about is that, that like a lot of the PBTA games are um, they're emulating a genre, so you know you're supposed to know that genre inside and out before you start reading that game. Like Monster of the Week is like you know X Files and all that. And yeah. like, there's a lot of these emulations of genres. So the story seeds are all in the in the media that is supposed to be backing this up. So like, the appendix in, if you will, of that genre is what you're supposed to feed off of, and we don't have to talk about it. But I think that you know, if you don't emulate it perfectly, then it it doesn't. You won't get all the story. You won't get connected to all those stories in that appendix in, and that's why. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about the op soap opera portion of this again, but basically you have to have all the parts of a genre. Otherwise, it doesn't click into place and become this like self-moving machine. Now, I can understand uh, wanting some more originality because we are in the we are in the era of everything must be rebooted. Oh, did it make a billion dollars and it makes no sense to make a sequel? Well, you're going to get a fucking sequel. So like you know, everything's getting a sequel, everything's getting rebooted, you're reusing all the stuff. So having original thoughts and ideas is just, it is refreshing. So I think that there's um, a kind of a correlation between what you're saying about PBTA and about, and in OSR. And part, one of the things that we've done over the course of like the last half decade on this show is that we've spent a lot of time talking about PBTA and we spent a lot of time talking about OSR. And I think that as the years keep going by, these two uh, groups that have been seen as so like weirdly diametrically opposed and whose player bases have often kind of glowered at one another. We've just really seen that intellectual space continue to narrow and narrow and narrow until we're realizing that these games are very similar to one another in many regards. And what goes on in PBTA is very similar to OSR in that, in that, Here's some rules. You know what to do with it. We're not going to bother selling you Ravenloft. We're just selling you some fantasy archetypes so you can play Ravenloft. You know what I'm saying? And I think that um, that was very refreshing for the last five, seven, ten years. And I think, you know, as Ben said, the pendulum swings and we're starting to see people be more interested in like, well, yeah, but what's the campaign setting? Like what? Like, I already have, like, 16 different fucking, 
you know, BX emulators and yeah. like, generic horror games and shit. Get, but if I'm going to buy something new, I want to be buying something, right? It's it's funny you mentioned the BX emulator because um, I, I I've no I was thinking about this recently um, when I was looking up uh, a couple mega dungeons for a first edition to run for that group I was telling you guys about, and I saw and I, I don't want to name drop um, I saw another game get announced and it was basically an OSR module and I myself I'm a big Labyrinth Lord fan um, that's my go to for OSR uh, I've always enjoyed everything he's put out and that's just kind of my preferred game and i was looking at it and i kind of had this like light bulb pop out uh and it went like my thought process was what is the difference between this specific emulation and like labyrinth lord and it was and i actually did look it up it's maybe like a page worth of changes but it's still like a 65 dollar book and I, I just kept thinking, like, is it really worth picking up? You know, like, because I understand that, like, a lot of the older rules are basically open to interpretation because that's kind of how, like, Gygax wrote. But at the same time, like, what, like, what is the driving force between so many people wanting this specific product kickstarted? Does, does that make sense? Like, or am oh. I just sounding kind of elitist? Bro, bro heavy relation and because uh, because you were like you were like oh i don't want to name drop the product and i was like oh okay that's fair you don't have to but as you were describing it your thought process i think i figured out what product you're talking about and i won't name drop it because i had that exact same thought i had literally that exact same thought where i was looking at the fucking kickstarter and i was like oh a new book i like buying things yeah me too. and then I looked, <laughs> I looked over at my fucking bookshelf and i was like I kind of already own this. Why would I buy it again? You know what I'm saying? How many of these can I fucking own? You know? I have I have a copy of Labyrinth Lord. I have um, actual first and second edition books. I think I have a copy of Blue Home somewhere. And then I have um, Lamentations. And I feel like that pretty much is like a wide enough, you know, uh, spread, if you will, to cover everything and I, I, I just find myself looking at some of these osr clones thinking where does this fit like when would yeah. when would yeah. i go i want this very specific you know osr interpretation because truth be told you know i can take those interpretations that's maybe a page of you know change log and then just apply it to labyrinth lord again not trying to de- people from purchasing that book but that's that's where i personally sit as a dm that does dabble in osr quite a bit is just eh, eh, you know i have yeah. my i have my book that i run i know that yeah. labyrinth Lord php front to back so and the thing is is you can the part of being a gm and part of being like an experienced gm is that you know what your house rules are and your players if they come to your table a lot they probably know what your house rules are too and even if they don't you can always write them the fuck down and hand it out as a fucking you know as a handout at session one or session 200 or whatever and interestingly i don't know if you guys saw this but like it was on i think the um osr uh OSR, uh, there's there's a group on fucking Facebook. It's called like OSR for life or some shit. I don't know. And um, somebody was like sending around this picture of what was apparently Gygax himself's uh, house rules. It was called like <laughs> Gary's house rules. Did you guys see this? No, I didn't uh-huh. see it. It was funny as fuck because this is the guy who wrote the goddamn book, right? And then he had a sheet, a one sheet bullet pointed outline and this is if it's if it's real i don't know if it is maybe it's some other dude named gary i don't know but it was a one sheet bullet points of uh things like php classes only and um if you have a spell prepared but you get hit by a close combat attack before you've had a chance to cast it you have to make this kind of save or you lose the spell and it was just shit like that and that's what GMs have been doing like for fucking ever, and we're we've always done it. We're never going to stop doing it. So, you, do you really need to keep buying the same book over and over and over again to get these like finely tuned, re-nuanced versions of the of the rules? You know, or you just write it down? You know, I have a hard time believing that Gygax would actually write anything down like that and just keep it uh, um, opaque. Like, oh yes, no, you you lost a spell. You know, like <laughs> I feel like he, you know, the way he writes, I just feel like he. You could have. He could have just been like, "It's behind the screen, and it's only I know." 
<laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, there is that. There is that. Um. Anyway, so we have a subject. We have a subject to the show, even though the show's half over at this point. We do have a subject that we're going to get to. So, um, without any further ado, I'd like to name our patron of the episode. We're we're dedicating this one to Alex M. Now, Alex M., my friend, I have this feeling like you've been a patron for a long time, uh, and I'm rededicating this show to you because you recently had to change your pledge. And I appreciate I appreciate the the uh, re kind of like just re upping your belief in Full Metal RPG. Um, thank you, Alex M, and thank you to all of our patrons over on Patreon.com. Uh, someday, uh, your your belief and faith in us will be made manifest into reality somehow. Um, so, if you're interested in supporting Full Metal RPG, we're actually doing pretty well over on Patreon right now. Uh, we're at a good spot where we're kind of like uh, approaching some funds where we can do some new stuff. Richard and I recently just had a big long meeting, a big long boozy meeting in the uh, oh, yeah. afternoon shade <laughs> about what the future of Full Metal RPG looks like, uh, and we're and we're definitely coming up on some uh, some changes. So, um, if you're interested in supporting that uh, financially, then then please head over to Patreon.com look for Full Metal RPG. If you're interested in just supporting the fact that we still exist and still make shows and and you still listen to them. We appreciate that too. Thank you very much. And thank you to Alex M for your, your support of the show. Topic of today's program is what type of podcasts do podcasters listen to? Or as I call it, podcast on podcast crime. <laughs> Real gangsta shit. We're like fucking, we're just all like, it's like rap beefs. We're all like, yo. NWA sucks or whatever. I don't know. Um, so it's, I takes. think we're going <laughs> No, it's like remember the classic nineties uh, oh, beefs yeah. where you'd listen oh, yeah. to, you'd listen to the Ice Cube songs to feel out how it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I wonder if Ice Cube and Easy E are still friends. Uh it appears they are not. <laughs> um so uh so uh we're gonna talk about some uh some podcasts that we love and maybe we'll talk about some podcasts that we don't love but uh when i when i listen to podcasts i listen to a lot i often think to myself i wonder what shows it is that these guys listen to you know what i'm saying as i'm listening to podcasts around uh so you know and richard and i we often kind of segue into this a lot when we we reference some of the other shows when we're talking but so RBK, uh, do you want to you want to get us started? What's a what's a good show? What's what's some uh, what's some hot shit? Well, I wanted to, I mean, talk about because we were talking about Trail of Cthulhu earlier, and Ooh, yeah, the designers of Trail of Cthulhu and a bunch of other Cthulhu, the Yellow King, all this, they have a great podcast. Ken and Robin talk about stuff. It, bro, they, are you are you serious? Okay, sorry, I'm gonna bust your chops yeah, here for a second. Go for are it. you seriously gonna are you seriously gonna like get the any award winning, the perennial any award winning best podcast it, it oh. is gonna be you're leading with? Okay, fine, fine. Uh let's see here. Uh <laughs> it's I got a whole list of shit. Uh you know, not that's an any award winning. Okay, not, not I mean that no, one. no, uh, I'm not saying you can't put any uh, award uh, winners. Gonna, I'm just saying that like in the in the RPG space, the like the most it's that's like that's like being like I hey guys have you heard of Drake I mean right. yeah <laughs> well people, yeah, people know, have heard of Drake but I've mentioned it to so many people and they don't know what I'm talking about so like oh, well then by all means by know, all means I'm and, probably just being a, a gatekeeper I'm right. one of those gatekeeping fucks go go ahead tell us about Ken and Robin talk about but, stuff you know they're they're older guys and they they you know they pontificate and stuff like that but there's often an interesting uh, seeds in there for things you can do and where you can eat in places, but I, I enjoy their designing. And I think you can see once you start listening to them, you can see where it's the only podcast I actually listen to that has designers on it. I think, I mean, well, they have that. That's their you show. Mean like, like professional designers, professional you designers, like guys the, who it's whole thing is just design, not right. just kind of like the pro am designer kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's like, uh, that's the, that's the one that I listen to, you know, it's probably the one I, I download right away. And I have I have listened to Ken and Robin talk about stuff. It is a very good podcast, and the hosts are both very charming and engaging and smart. Um, I will say that I wish there was more role playing on there, 
and less other stuff because they, yeah. they it's very clear that they are they're both very deeply immersed in role playing and that they sometimes just want to enjoy each other's company and talk about movies and chinese food and stuff like that and and it's like that's fine that's fine but when i'm doing my commute i want to be hearing about games i'm not, i'm very i'm very i'm very specific about this i'm very jealous of that time and i'm just like if I listen to a gaming podcast and I'm talking about games, I'm like, shut the fuck up, you know? Yeah, like, well, I don't you, wanna... you just turn me on to one that's all about games, but it's trophy, right? You just t- talk about the trophy podcast, right? The sixth round. Oh, yeah. That... Yeah, that is true. Uh, Jason Cordova has a new podcast, which which uh, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you're probably familiar with um, me and Richard's uh, f- fascination with uh, Jason Cordova. We're both big, as, as, as Gabe was saying earlier, we're both big stands. Yes. Or stands for or stands for Jason Jason Cordova. I, I mean, I really can't uh, endorse what he puts his name on enough. And uh, the trophy pike, it's 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 kind of weird because it's called like what? It's called the sixth sixth ring, or is it called the sixth circle? The sixth circle, the sixth circle. Sorry, the sixth ring sixth was circle? another. That was an L five R podcast. Wherever go. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's called like, it's called the sixth circle, but you actually can't search it. Is that on iTunes? They, it, they, it's just called Trophy, which I think is a mistake somehow. I think they need to clean that up. But no, I think you, it's I think it's the Trophy RPG. I think it start and they they were mostly talking about the Trophy RPG at least the episode. I so I think it started as that, but I think they maybe they their the art on here still says Trophy. So like I think I they mean, just decided to call it something else, but still. I, yeah, th- th- that may be. It may be kind of a little bit whippy, but like, um, it's just it is just them talking about trophy, and 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 obviously, you know, Jason's been very caught up in the development of trophy and kind of getting it on Kickstarter and getting it out there to the world and stuff, and that's cool. I'm glad that he's super enthused about that creation. I will say that his brilliance on the gauntlet is super duper missed. Yes. For uh, sure. he is such a fucking like role playing powerhouse, like Titan. I always want to hear his thoughts on fucking role playing games and whatever role playing game it is, whatever role playing game it is. I want to hear what Jason Cordova's thoughts are on it. So having him talking only about this kind of, uh, this passion project feels a little limiting to me. I'm all I I, I kind of want his brilliance to have like a bigger stage, you know, but that having been said, I have missed him so much on the gauntlet that just hearing his voice makes me happy. And on some level, the experience of tuning into his show and just hearing his voice again, it really showed me how powerful podcasting is and the way it develops like a connection between you and another person and a series of experiences that are shared because just hearing his voice in my car again, talking about a role-playing game made me so happy, dude. I was missing him so much when he exited the gauntlet. So if you ever listen to those old gauntlet episodes, whether you're into trophy or not, you should totes check it out because that's a, that's a good fucking show. Gabe, well, you haven't t- said anything. What what have you been listening? What do you listen to? So, I'm gonna commit a horrible sin. I don't actually listen to a whole lot of RPG specific podcasts, um, and I think it's mostly because uh, a lot of times it's hard for me to get thinking about. RPGs when I'm listening to an RPG podcast. As wild and as weird as that sounds, a lot of the uh, things that get my mind going when I'm writing or when I'm uh, in like a creative mood is actually um, podcasts that center around the subject I'm trying to write. So I was talking about this uh, with Brendan the other day. Um, I listen to a lot of paranormal stuff. So the one podcast that I absolutely love and that has truly helped me come up with different moods and different uh story hooks out of just random you know things that they're talking about is a podcast called the lights out podcast 
Um, and they specifically talk about hauntings, um, just weird paranormal events. Uh, they do dabble in some uh, serial killer true crime stuff, but it's mostly paranormal stuff. And to me, what I've noticed by listening to that podcast when they cover uh things like uh they did at the winchester house they've done uh i think they did the ammons house as well is that for a writer when it comes to horror i found myself in this almost snowball effect and that effect is okay so i scared my group last week with this specific thing how do i one up it how do i one up it how do i one up it and then eventually you kind of reach this pinnacle where you really don't know where you're going to go next. And you kind of need to knock yourself down a couple of um, pegs to really uh, creep your, your party out. And by listening to things such as like the Ammons house where, uh, you know, they talk about all of these wild things that have been documented by the police and you can look up these, you know, police reports and whatnot. Um, you kind of recenter yourself and you're able to learn and reteach yourself that, a lot of basic things can really make people uncomfortable, like depending on how you write it. So by taking um, some of those creepy things like, oh, there's a police report that in this hall, uh, this kid just walked backwards up a wall. And like, there's no explanation for that. If you drop something like that in your game uh, at the right time, you can scare the shit out of your party. And that's exactly what I did. And it's kind of cool because it'll catch the party off guard because they're so used to these bigger and better and bigger and better things. So I think that I use a lot of inspiration from that to kind of recenter myself as well as just get crazy ideas that I never would have thought of either way, you know, just on my own. Mm, that is fascinating, dude. I really like that. So this is called Lights Out. A Lights Out podcast. It's two oh, brothers that just God. sit and talk paranormal. Um, I know it's kind of, uh, you know, potentially a letdown that a, a DM of a long time doesn't really listen to RPG podcasts, but um, that's that's what I listen to. And I draw a lot of inspiration from that. And I think uh, it kind of scratches that void that I don't know if you remember him, but his name was Art Bell. He was an old oh, yeah. radio oh, show. Sure. Host. Yeah, of yeah, course. He, he was an old radio show host. My uncle got me into him. And ever since Art Bell passed away and uh, his show has been sold and then traded and sold and traded and whatnot, it, it's terrible now. I, I can't stand it. Um, it's kind of fit the void. And they're relatively new to the whole paranormal podcasting scene. So I really dig it. Um, but I that's, that's kind of what I listen to and where I draw a lot of my creativity uh, from, especially because I have like a 30 to 40 minute drive at work and their episodes are around an hour so I can get through one. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's good. And that's, I think that's helped me more than a lot of RPG podcasts uh, that I've listened to, you know, just trying in the past. But uh, really quick, bouncing off of what you had said earlier about RPG people that you listen to, to where you wish you could just listen to them talk about the industry or creativity itself. That's how I feel about Matt Colville. Matt Colville is my favorite DM. And I love when he just talks about a specific thing with RPGs. What, what what where can you find that? What is that? That's a where, where is channel. that? <laughs> yeah, it's a YouTube channel. But it's a YouTube uh, he, channel? What's it called? It's called Matt, it's just, Matt uh, Colville. Uh, yeah, yeah, Matt Colville. Huh? He's the guy that have did a, uh, f uh, the Fortresses uh, Kickstarter, right? Yeah. The uh, Strongholds oh. and Strongholds, which I really like. Um, so it is you know, slightly uh, not uh, in the realm of podcasts, but he does do a podcast, I believe, called uh, The Chain, which is his personal campaign. Oh, uh, but interesting. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat in that I do have that DM that I will listen to and just pull from. Like, I, I want to know what his opinion is on this specific thing that is, uh, you know, being discussed amongst the, the whole community. So Interesting, interesting. All right, solid. That's solid. I dig that. The Lights Out podcast. I'm going to check that one out because, you know, I am always looking for new hooks. I'm always looking for new stuff. And I agree 100% with what you're saying where there's kind of like this maximalist kind of view of horror where it's and you see it like in you see this is a problem in horror movies right where it's like oh well fucking last time freddy came through a wall and came out of the bathtub so he can't can't do that again he's got to do something that's like somehow better than that and then like you get to like freddy number nine and it's just like preposterous it's ridiculous. yeah you know? it doesn't make any fucking sense um 
it's not fun anymore. It's not scary anymore. It's lost the whole like the whole taste of what it's supposed to be. Uh, and so I think that that's really smart to be looking into um, like what is the weird, you know, like what is the 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 idea of that horror should have like an element of kind of banality to it. It should seem kind of unobtrusive until it's not right. Like that's, yeah. that's just scary. I think the one thing that I, I do have problems with, too, uh, going off of that, when with RPGs that are centered in horror, is that a lot of times they give an explanation as to what is causing this creepy thing in the module or what is causing the people in the village to, you know, awake at night and then crawl back to their loved ones' graves and dig the dead. And it's like, no, just don't explain that. Because that's creepy as hell. Like, if you just <laughs> don't give a reason and the players don't figure it out by the time they leave the village, me as a player, I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm good. I never want to go back to that village. But if you explain it and go, oh, it's, you know, this crazed uh, sorceress that poisoned the water supply, it's like, ah, well, you know, once we take care of her, everything's fine. I think right. that inherent element of mystery is a lot creepier than um, having it explained. But that's just me yeah no, well I, I don't think it's just you bro i think that's i think that's the that's almost like a quantifiable thing like this is one of the problems that we had with like white wolf books is that once they had released fucking a book about how to make a character and how to mechanically represent like literally every single monster and like all of folklore then all of a sudden there was no mystery anymore and it just became essentially like paranormal soap opera the role-playing game you know i mean because <laughs> Because what was scary? There wasn't anything scary. What my favorite White Wolf book uh, they released was, was a, uh, I believe it was second edition World of Darkness. It's when they moved past, like, Vampire the Masquerade. Like, all their lines being run independently, and then they just brought it together under the umbrella of World of uh -huh. Darkness. A book called Tales from the 14th, 13th Precinct. And... Um, in it, you play a group of just regular investigators at like a police station that kind of bumble their way into the world of darkness, like arena. So, oh, you're a cop on a certain beat, and then you just happen to come across, you know, a werewolf and a vampire fighting, and how you would go about, uh, you know, your character figuring out what's going on and kind of just being roped into these things that exist in their other lines of product and i liked that because as an rpg player and as a as a dm i i don't like having giving the players too much power to where they can basically walk in and clean out an entire dungeon no problem i like having my players have a sense of vulnerability and kind of a sense of i don't know what i'm going to do if we can't figure this out I, I kind of like having that because I feel like by kind of keeping that power curve down, it keeps the players involved and uh, in the game. You know what I mean? I, I do, dude, dude, dude. That original World of Darkness blue book and the ancillary books that came out after them that let you play because the, the, they were basically for playing humans. Yeah. And, then the, and then the subsequent source books that kind of tied them all together were for different iterations of how to play humans. And, you know, Adam and I have said for years, finest horror role-playing game ever written. I, the the <laughs> oh, scariest yeah. shit I ever ran was just from those, oh, you're playing a human and you're in the world of darkness and there's creepy ghosts. You know what I'm saying? That shit was, that shit was so fucking good. I don't think that they understood how good it was. Yeah, and it's, it. it's, it's really upset me. Um like more so than it should, because I feel like the the storyteller system and what they had going on with just their book. Like I, if you go into my apartment and you look on my RPG shelf, I have a fat stack of the old um, World of Darkness, like blue books that they used to put out. I, I think I have Ghost Stories, Reliquaries, Haunted Highways, and a bunch of other ones. good ones. And I, I'm not joking. I will sometimes if I'm just having a hard time writing a specific story arc, I'll just grab one and then just read one of the stories because they legitimately are short stories. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like kind of like adventure scenes. Mm -hmm. And I'll pull from those. And it, it bums me out because I, I agree with you. I don't think they knew what they had. And the the bummer aspect of that is that they never truly gave it the support that they needed to. You know, like we were talking about this earlier, but I feel like from the core rulebook, they never included a, a starter adventure or a um, 
you know, a, a, a bundle, you know, you buy the PHB, you get this uh, side adventure campaign kind of thing. It, it was just kind of made for DMs that already knew how to DM. And I got into that around the time I started to teach myself how to DM. And I wish that I had had those supplements uh, to kind of point myself in the right direction, because I feel like if I had, I would have become a larger White Wolf DM. Because I think I only ran a game of World of Darkness like once or twice. Because I just I didn't have those that that story or content to to kind of compass my way uh, towards that. You know what I mean? Well, you still got them, man. That's the thing. Still got still there. Still got them. No time like the present. I keep I keep mine, dude. I keep yeah. mine. Anyway, uh, we were kind of running low on time. Yeah. We didn't end up talking about podcasts too much. We talked about some. But uh, I guess kind of to wrap things up, I just kind of like to do some shout outs real quick to um kind of the the homies that have kind of gotten us here over the over the years and the fact of the matter is is like full metal rpg would not have reached five five years and a hundred episodes if it wasn't for the support of a lot of other friends in the uh podcasting community and ben and adam and richard and i we were all very very uh fucking lucky to have made so many friends in the fucking uh podcasting world and um, to really just be involved in a lot of different podcasts. So, so aside from anything that we've said today, and we almost, I almost take it kind of like as granted that you guys, if you're longtime listeners, you know about these podcasts. But I'm going to rack up some. If you're like a new listener, you might check these out. Uh, I endorse them, and these are podcasts that like I listen to so reflexively that like doing a whole episode of just about it almost feels redundant. Like you guys should should know by now but so i'm, I'm gonna say it now for the record um darker days radio is a uh, horror podcast that used to focus almost exclusively on the world of darkness uh now it's moved into some more kind of just dark material but like darker days radio was the podcast that made me want to get into podcasting uh we're friends with that show we're friends with people that run that show uh darker days radio we love you thank you for everything uh dungeon punks is um like English dudes who are like obviously the best friends that could be fucking talking shit and talking about role playing. Sometimes, sometimes they're talking about role playing. Mostly they just talk about um, being friends. And uh, if you want to just listen to some friends talk, uh, there's no better show. Um, and then every so often they do manage to get some uh, role playing in there. Um, Red Moon Role Playing is probably like the best actual play podcast on the radio today and if they haven't won a best podcast any yet they will um it's 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 gonna happen it's gonna happen sometime uh then you know we've had a number of members of the wrecking crew on this show over the years uh that's another um kind of world of darkness centric podcast and it's no longer with us they don't make new episodes I still recommend going back and listening to some of the back episodes. Uh, if you know Josh from this show, if you know um, Adam Maxwell from this show, if you know Daryl from this show, uh, they all kind of got their start on the Wrecking Crew. And uh, we love those guys. We love the Wrecking Crew. Uh, we miss them a great deal. So please check that out. <laughs> yeah, RIP. Um, uh, check out Tabletop Radio Hour. Uh, Tabletop Radio Hour is a kind of like a sister show. They've been very good to us. And we've done a lot of cross-promotional stuff. Um, please consider checking them out. And then uh, one of my personal kind of uh, 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 favorites, uh, Mamory Alpha. Yeah, uh, yeah. Our friend Ashley, our friend Danielle um, are, are, are on that show. That's another actual play that I would recommend. It's, a, it's, it's also got an interesting take. If you uh, want to support women in role-playing, if you want to support Star Trek, that's, uh, that's a show that you, you should listen to. Um, oh, Mamory Alpha. Like uh, Star Trek, so I'll check that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's uh, like Memory Alpha, but boobs. <laughs> I actually, I have, I, I have a shirt that says Memory Alpha on it, and then has a suggestive kind of image of like two planets to look like boobs. I cannot wear it in public because women see me wearing this shirt, and they they think that I'm like one of those guys that's got the FBI like 
female body inspector shirt on. Oh, I, have, I have to be like, no, it's my friend. It's a podcast. Anyway. No, um, I don't give a shit. I'll wear that t-shirt in public. It's got a satellite <laughs> I, between I, the planets too. So it's even funnier. It does. I wear it. I wear it at cons a lot because I feel like that's where the message can be best received. Um, but I've worn it to work and gotten some serious cock eyes from my, like from my female coworkers. And so I, that, that's gotta be a con shirt for me. Um, and then, uh, last but not least, I would suggest heading over to uh, twin cities by night and, um, taking a listen to some of their actual plays. Our, our Freddie, our, Fr- our Freddie, our friend, <laughs> Chris Zach founded that show way back when, and, uh, he continues putting it out and they've actually really grown their stable of contributors. So they've got, not only do they have a butt ton of GMs, but they are playing some like really kind of like like underground games. If you want to hear actual plays of things like Eclipse Phase or Changeling the Lost, just stuff that's really hard to find. And so um, I, I recommend that one highly. There's other Phase shows I so listen good. to. What's that? Phase is so good. Oh yeah, I do. I do love Eclipse Phase. Um, there's some other shows I listen to. I thought we were gonna get to them today, but you know what? Well, maybe we'll pick this one up again next year and do another one. All right. Uh, does anybody have anything they want to say in closing? Any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. Yeah, I've got a whole list. <laughs> I got a whole list I need to go through here. But uh, all I want to say is, you know, there's some great podcasts out there, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we appreciate you listening to us, and uh, you know listening to other stuff and we're all friends you know we all meet each other at conventions and hang out so it's it's a universe you just don't know it yet so yeah and yeah no seriously if you think if you ever think to yourself um do uh do podcast guys hang out and talk about podcast stuff when um no one else is around the answer is yes if you think if you ever thought to yourself i wonder if it's like rap game where they got beefs and shit the answer is no we really don't. It's a, it's a bunch of really really great people who are who are generally speaking like unbelievably easy to get along with. So, um, uh, Gabe, thank you for taking time out of your day to come and hang out with us. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course. And RBK, thank you for putting in the time and the effort on the wheels of steel. No problem, man. Just uh, gonna start editing here this afternoon, probably. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, thank you, everybody, and have a good night. Ah. Yeah.